Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff Radio. We have done a lot of different interviews about abortion. Everybody from the founder of Father Heart to Alveda King. But I have never done a radio show with somebody who actually used to perform abortions for Planned Parenthood and is no longer doing that. But I'm really, really going to say I recommend her book. Her book is called Unexpected Choice. It's so well written that I would have to say it's kind of like the style that Hemingway used to write where you felt like you were there. You know, of course, I work in surgery, so I have been in different cases and, you know, worked around a lot of doctors that did abortions and, you know, actually have been in some of those cases. On the line, I have Dr. Giebinks. She is an OBGYN, and for 30 years, she delivered babies here and overseas, which I want to get into because... Both me and my wife came out of the missionary field. Doctor, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing well, thank you. Well, we're so glad to have you and so glad that you wrote this book. We were talking right before the show started, and my wife wants to, wanted to say something. I was just going to say that after reading this book, uh, I unfortunately, back in 90 or 91, had an abortion, which, of course, I'm not proud to say, but transparent enough to say it, that my life is an open book as well. But I wanted to say because of her book, it made me realize that I had never forgiven the doctor and I had never prayed for her. I am grateful to say that because of this, it made me aware that I needed to pray and forgive. So thank you for that, Dr. Giebank. Wow. Back to you, Todd. Wow. Yeah, so there's so many ways we can go with this, but... Do you want to start and just tell a little bit about your story? We don't have to, you know, it's, it's, we're only doing 20 to 30 minutes, so it doesn't have to be anything long, but kind of a little bit on your background, and then uh, we'll, we'll go up to what you're doing now. Okay. Well, I uh, come from a very scientific-based family. There's a number of doctors in our family. Medical school was sort of like my second career. Initially, I didn't know I was going to go into OBGYN, but that became something I was interested in. I never really planned on being an abortion doctor. It, I think there were a number of steps that got me there. I did end up closing my private OBGYN practice and going and working at Planned Parenthood full-time, which lasted one year, and then we parted ways. And then I got back into doing my passion, which is delivering babies. After some time, I became a Christian, a believer. Then sometime after that, I realized that God's character is a God of life, and it took a while for me to come to terms with that. And then once that happened, I became involved with the pro-life movement and some pro-life legislation in South Dakota, and it was called Vote Yes for Life. And I sort of came out to the forefront kind of dramatically in 2006. And since that time, my life has just been amazing. God has taken me to a number of places and a number of platforms. And ultimately, I ended up writing this book, which was a long process and one in which I 
wasn't sure I was doing what God wanted me to do. So I think it was about four or five years ago, I just said, okay, Lord, I've done everything that I can do to make this book happen. I'm done. If something you want me to do, then, Lord, you're going to have to make the connections. And so that was sort of like laying out a fleece. And then it was just amazing what God did. When people ask me why I wrote this book, I said, well, I was trying to be obedient. And some of the God stories are just so amazing. And it wasn't anything that I can take credit for because I never planned on doing any of this. God is a great God, and he's just amazing. And he he wants us to be transparent, to speak out. And so that's what I did. I was just trying to be obedient. Well, when you say about your second career, I think you were 30 years old when you decided to go to medical school? Yeah. Which, I mean, is, is a great testimony for people out there because a lot of people are going, well, I'm too old to, to start over or I'm too old to, to go into something different. I just, I thought that was incredible. So I wanted to mention that. Some of the God stories, there's one particular one I wanted you to talk about, the 25-week-old baby. The the one that I did a C-section? Yes. Is that the one? Well, this was, yes. this was pretty early in my, I had been out of residency, I think a year. She wasn't really my patient. And she came in with bleeding. And the first time she came in, everything looked fine. I said, you know, let's just keep this going as long as we can. And then she came in, oh, I don't know, a week or two later, and I happened to be on call again. And this time the baby really looked like it was being compromised. And I told her that I painted a pretty grim picture because back almost, well, what, 25 years ago, I can't remember, but 25 weeks was not always considered viable. It was sort of the edge of viability. And so I I wanted her to be prepared. I knew that we'd probably do a C-section, but I wanted her to understand that a baby at 25 weeks could be quite compromised if they even would survive. And she said, let's just go with everything we got and... I did the, her C-section, and the baby did so amazingly well. Never was intubated. I think it required a little bit of oxygen, but not much. He did so amazingly well. But, you know, he had been stressed with, I don't know if it was a chronic abruption or whatever, but he had already been stressed and, and just came out so vigorous. And then I actually ran into her at a pro-life rally, like 15 years later, and um and she came up to me and she said, you probably don't know who I am. And she started explaining. And I said, I know exactly who you are. And she was so happy to tell me that her son was doing amazingly well and he was healthy, athletic. She said he didn't even wear eyeglasses. Yeah, I mean, that's just, I, I don't know. I heard that story and I was just like blown away. Yeah, yeah. It's just an amazing story because back then, well, now, 25 weeks, I think we're much more competent at saying this is, this is viable. It's one of those things that when you think, I think I also tell in the book a story, uh, uh, the story of when I was working at Planned Parenthood, and a young woman came in for a dating ultrasound. And as I walked in the room and I saw her laying on the table, the ultrasound table and I could see her belly and in my mind being an OB doc I'm thinking this is a baby 
I mean, obviously, she's well beyond what we can do in South Dakota electively. I did her scan, and I said, you're 24 weeks. You know, there's no place in South Dakota where you can get an elective abortion, and I don't even know if there's anything in this region where you can do 24 weeks. And she said she had an appointment, I think it was Kansas, and as long as she wasn't 25 weeks, she'd be okay. And then I kind of kicked myself without, you know, knowing the whole story ahead of time because, you know, you can tweak a few things. And I wish I would have gotten her at 25 weeks and then she wouldn't have been, she wouldn't have qualified for an abortion in Kansas. Hopefully she didn't go through with it, but you never, you never know. I, I don't know. I assume she did because she was very motivated to go and just wanted to make sure she wasn't too far. But even in my mind then, that's a baby. Even back then, it's kind of unconscionable to think that you would electively terminate a pregnancy that far advanced, let alone into the third trimester, which, you know, you can do. That's just, to me, that's, that's you've made your decision, and that would be to carry the baby to term and give the baby up for adoption. So... Even back then, I wasn't radically pro-abortion. And, and there's so many organizations nowadays. You know, I mentioned Father Heart is one, which is also called uh, Living Alternatives. The lady who is that runs that or who started it, you know, had an abortion herself. And so she started this so women would have a place to go, have their baby, and then they decide if they want to keep it or adopt it out. And their adoption rate is very high. There's a lot of places like that now. So there's, there's a lot of alternatives for these mothers if they don't want the child. Yeah, yeah. A lot more than there was, you know, back when you were working yeah. for Planned Parenthood. Well, so much has happened since Roe v. Wade, since even a couple decades after Roe v. Wade. I mean, just in the – since then – so much has happened. And in South Dakota, every time we had a pro-life legislative bill, we would talk about it. And I remember the first in 2006, the first vote yes for life, I think it was a referendum, kind of forced people to talk about the issue. And it became much easier to talk about abortion. And so people were asking more questions. And I think people were getting educated about what is abortion, what are, what is informed consent, what are comp potential complications and what are the alternatives? And I think back when I was working at Planned Parenthood, I think a lot of the patients were so undereducated and I didn't have time to talk to them about what abortion is. And of course, we know so much more about not only the physical risks, but the emotional risks. You know, I think we can talk about alternatives. And I know in my OB practice, I would get young women, mostly college students who were considering abortion or considering adoption. Unfortunately, very few women who are thinking about adoption actually go through with it. They have the baby and they find it very, very difficult to give the baby up. A lot of times they think, well, abortion is so much easier than adoption. And so what we need to do is cultivate that idea that adoption is is a good idea. Well, just to sort of plant that seed that if you have an unexpected, unplanned pregnancy, that you don't have to have an abortion. 
you can, it's it's acceptable. You know, you can be single and be pregnant. There's very little discrimination against single women who are pregnant. And so you can carry your baby and then decide what to do. But I think women have so many more avenues now to talk about what to do, and they have more resources. There's more resources out there for them. There's pregnancy help centers, and uh, you can look on the Internet and find a whole lot of stuff. And a lot of them have what they call open adoptions, where they'll actually, you know, 10 years down the road, they'll have a a family reunion, and and the the mother gets to come back and and see what her, you know, child's doing, what her child's becoming, and everything else. So it's gotten a lot better. Yeah. You were going to say something, Julie? I was just going to say when I was in college, I wrote an essay on abortions and the statistics and everything that's presented. And you were mentioning adoption. And I just wanted to say that the statistics that they had was it used to be 9% were available for adoption. But when Roe versus Wade and so forth came forth, now we're only at 1% is available for adoption. So I just wanted to put that into the air so if somebody is thinking about adoption or abortion that adoption is really needed because a lot of people out there that can't have their own children for whatever circumstances and only one percent available makes it tough yeah i think we all know couples who have been in that situation and how difficult it is to find a baby to adopt my wife and i were both missionaries before and i actually started i was a missionary in russia and she was a missionary in bulgaria and then we both ended up in uganda africa she was from san francisco and that's how we kind of met so when you started talking about san francisco and then you started talking about the missionary you know i never saw that side of the i i was in the hospitals and the orphanages but i was in the hospitals with patch adams so it was for a different reason it wasn't uh, seeing the surgery side of it. I would just do remember the uh, how filthy the hospitals and the things clinics were and stuff like that. So when you were talking about going over there and operating, I, all I could think was, oh, my gosh, you know, I bet you have some stories on that. Oh, yeah, yeah, lots of stories, many that would just break your heart. But, you know, the I've worked in uh, several hospitals, overseas. When I worked in the Arabian Peninsula, that was a very modern hospital. And when I worked in northern Pakistan, it it was a mission hospital that was basically run by American doctors. And the last time I went to Pakistan, I was in central Pakistan. That was probably the scariest operating room I've ever worked in. And in, in some ways, almost unnecessarily unsafe. There were things they could do, but there's a tendency to do things the way you've always done it and not look to how can we do things better. You know, I think there's sort of a survival mode. You're so understaffed and under-resourced, you just kind of do what you can with what, you, what you've got and hope for the best. Another thing I wanted to mention, too, I had never heard that letter that Mother Teresa wrote, and I just thought that was oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So basically, your book is available now. And I, I know it's yes. available through Focus on the Family, um, but it's called Unexpected Choices. So after the book, you want to talk a little bit more about what you're doing now? Well, writing the book, I it was almost 
as much work as medical school. I mean, it was it was fun work, and my co-writer is such a delight. And working with her was a total God thing. I mean, just the steps of how we met, total God thing. And she's such a good storyteller. And we worked by, actually, we worked during COVID. We'd talk on the phone. I would uh, email her stuff I'd written. And uh, and then we'd talk on the phone. And she'd I'd be talking and she'd say, wait a minute, tell me more. Like when I mentioned septic tank. And she said, whoa, what is that? Never heard of that. Tell me more. And sometimes I would think that things were so unimportant, but she would say, no, tell me more. I, I want to know more about that because I don't know what people want to read. So the, the, the process of the writing of the book was, was just so amazing. The editing process, of course, is always kind of painful because you put a lot of stuff in and then it gets taken out. And so I think, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book was I wanted to write a book that was compassionate and kind and just to educate whatever side you're on to let you have a little view into the other side. And my hope and prayer is that people will will start talking to people that are different. I still have friends who are pro-choice. And in fact, one of the first things I did was send the book to a friend of mine who's who I highly respect and she's uh, she does documentaries. And I said, I, I want you to read my book and tell me what you think, you know, because I didn't want to offend people. Not that I wanted to misrepresent the truth. You know, I, I, I hope to that people start talking. You know, there's a little dialogue. It's like, I think I've already seen it some where I've had some pro-life people say to me, well, I, I just didn't know. You know, I, I just didn't know. I also want churches to start changing how we talk about abortion. Because I know that when I first started going, really going to church, when I became a believer, and I was going to a small church in my town, nobody knew what I'd done. And when the topic of abortion came up, everybody was so passionate. I would just cringe. And i think, oh my gosh, if they knew what I'd done, they'd hate me. And now I think, how many women are sitting in a congregation who've had an abortion have never revealed that to anybody, and they have that same feeling? Fear of being judged, fear of condemnation, you know, fear of their story getting out. And instead, I mean, aren't, aren't churches supposed to be safe place for sinners regardless of what your sin is? So when I talk to churches and I say, we need to change the conversation. We need to make it safe for women to say maybe they're thinking about abortion and they're and they need to talk about it, but they don't feel that it's safe or they've had an abortion and they're suffering and they're suffering in silence. And I think we need to educate pastors too and to help them. I mean, a lot of them, God bless them. I mean, they really mean well, but we need to get a handle on, on, on how we talk about it so that it's a, so we can bring it up in a safe environment. And so that's another thing that I really hope we can change that. I, there's a billboard on the interstate not far from where I live. The first time I saw it, it just 
shocked me. And it's a billboard of a little baby, and it says, how could you? And then it has something about abortion on the bottom. And I was like, oh, my, oh, my. You know, I've been healed from my past. Um, I talk about that in the book about the, the lengths that God went to heal me. So when I read that, I don't feel the condemnation. And, but I think of these women or even men who've paid for an abortion or, you know, encouraged their girlfriend to get an abortion. So when they see that, oh, I, you know, my heart just goes out to them. So how can we not do that? How can we help people heal from the trauma and the hurt and the um, the abortion after effects? Well, you know, you mentioned the church, and the statistics are like in certain age range. 65% of the women in that age range have already had an abortion. So yeah. you got to think about that in your congregation you may have 75% of your congregation may have already had an abortion. And instead of talking them down, maybe it's time to say, you know, anybody that has had an abortion that needs prayer, let's all get in little groups and pray for each other and pray for the healing. I mean, that's what they yeah. really need. They need someone to come along and hug them aside or say, Hey, we're going to have a special, a special room to meet or whatever, and if you're interested in coming, and you know, so you don't have to do it in front of the whole congregation. But there's got to be something a little better. Uh, I did yeah. a, I did a show with a transgender guy, who you know went and became a female, and then later, you know, he starts going to a, a church and ends up. Uh, Jesus just showed up to him, and he just starts bawling, and and he got. He got changed back as much as he could, but he's been married for like 30 years now. And his whole thing, he travels to China and Japan trying to stop these people from getting, for even starting the hormones. Because once you start the hormones, it's just, it's a, it's a money game. But yeah. one of the things that amazed me, he said, so he went to this church and later that afternoon, the, the pastor and his wife show up at his house and say, we don't need your kind in our church. Well, then who do you need? Oh. Oh, you know? Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's that's just a slap in the face. The guy was trying to find something, something to, you know, the healing for his life in any way. But, yes, I understand remember, exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Remember those bracelets that say, what would Jesus do? Oh, yeah. You know what Jesus did? He got yeah. down and wrote in the sand and started writing the names of all the people that had and what they've done and all their sins and everything else. And then they all walked away. You know, he said, <laughs> cast the first stone. And he, where's your accusers? Uh, there is none, Lord. <laughs> because yeah. the truth is we've all sinned. And, and it's yeah. all, you know, and, and one person will say, well, I haven't sinned as bad as you. Well, you know what? You just did. <laughs> because, yeah. you know. You just judged them, and you don't yeah. want to be judged that way. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I have to say your book was a fantastic read. I really enjoyed it, and tell the co-author, you know, thank you so much for helping because it was it was easy to read. Um, it was uh, it, it just flowed, and the stories were really good too. So I'm really hoping that it will also bring a lot of healing to 
yes, not only women, but also other physicians that have been, you know, doing abortions. And like you said at the beginning of the show, there's a lot of fathers that paid for these abortions, and they're still living with the guilt. I know a couple of them, you know, that are friends of mine, and they're still. Yeah. I Every once in a while, they'll say something about it, you know. So you know they're still yeah. living with it. Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad that what we set out to do that we accomplished. And it's always hard to know how what to put in and and what to leave out. So I'm I'm glad. I'm glad that it's readable and and my really uh I remember once I was talking to my editor at Focus on the Family and trying to tell her that I want to write a book that even pro-choice people will read. And, of course, her comment was, well, how many pro-choice people are going to buy a book from Focus on the Family? And I said, no, but somebody might give it to them. A sister, a friend, a coworker might just pass them the book and say, you know what, you, you might find something in here. And so I yeah. think that's what we need to do is that if you enjoy it, pass it on. You know, find someone and pass it on. They did the fabulous job on the cover, and that was quite a process. And I wanted one that I, when they asked me, what do you want in a cover? And I said, I, I want it to, to show some vulnerability. And I said, and I want it to kind of grab your attention so you're going to pull it off the shelf. I always think of when I'm in an airport and I go into one of the bookstores and I'm starting to look at all the covers and what. What's going to attract somebody's attention? And so I, I really have to say they, Tyndale House did a great job on the cover. I, I see a lot of really good books come through them. I just want to say that uh, this book has really encouraged me because sometimes you'll hear people on pro-life and pro-choice pro sides, but especially the pro-life side will will be frustrated with family members or other people that they talk to with uh, just the different sides. And I want to thank you because your book is so encouraging because what God has done for you, he'll do for anybody else. Yeah. And I yeah. think that very encouraging that we don't have to worry about people's mindsets. If we will just, like you said, compassionate, uh, be be understanding not worry about all those, just kind of find some kind of balance between you, some something to talk about, and just be patient with people. Yeah, Be patient exactly. with your family members or whoever that thinks differently and just realize, like your your nun friend, what did you say? Sister Josita. Her name was? Yes, Sister Josita. If we'll be patient and just pray for others, that don't think the same way that we think, it's okay. Just pray for them. Yep. And look, yep. look what God will do. And your story yep. is terrific. Thank you again. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. And your questions are so great. So thank you. Appreciate it. Many, many blessings to you. Thank you. Yeah, well, I just want to thank you, Doctor, for coming on. And I hope that you know, one day in the future we'll meet you somewhere, uh, especially I know there's a lot of stuff coming up that they're going to probably want you speaking at. Well, that's a little intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll tell one I'll tell one more story. So before my wife 
went to Africa. She went to the call in L.A. Was that in, Pe- in L.A. It, with you know Louis and uh, yeah yeah. So the, our whole marriage and everything kind of ended up coming around that. So it was just kind of neat to see you talk. I think yours was the call in Nashville that you yeah. went and spoke yeah. at. Yeah. And and I watched I watched that video, but I'm thinking about pulling it down and redoing it so you can hear it a little better because somebody had it real I mean it's hard to hear you. Okay. So I was thinking about okay. redoing that and, and making it where you can actually hear your words a little better, but uh yeah, oh, natural yeah. was so totally amazing because truly that's when God did a huge healing in in my heart and mind. So, and, uh, you know, I tell this, uh, some of the story in, in the book, and, you know, God is such a great God, and he wants to bring things to light, and he, he wants us to be healed and not go around suffering. Absolutely. Would you mind? I'd like to just say a little prayer over you as we close, Todd. Oh, Let's thank just you. pray over Father, I just want to thank you for my sister. I want to thank you for all the healing that you've done in her, in her heart. And I just want to bless her and that you would make your face shine upon her and you'd be gracious and merciful. Keep her in perfect peace and continue to walk side by side with her, ordering her footsteps on the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Yeah. I thank yeah. you that this is a glorious journey, a marvelous journey. And I thank you that there's so much more ahead. In Jesus' mighty name, keep your your presence evidence, evident with her all the days of our life. In the journey that she has and all that you have for her. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Yes, amen. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on. And I guess I'm going to say that's a wrap.